want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Uh, well, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Um, today we're joined by Mark. What's Mark? up? What's up? Uh, Mal, can you just give us a little bit of intro about yourself? Uh, yeah, so in terms of youth work, I've worked for um, the same youth organisation for this is my 16th year. Um, and within that, um, I have moved uh, pretty much everywhere. I've, so I've experienced a lot of roles. Um, yeah. Awesome. We'll probably explore that a bit more later. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as you know, we start all of our podcast stuff with a bunch of questions. Um, yep. So the first one is, what did your parents do for work? Uh, so my parents were, they had two, I guess they had two main jobs. Um, the first, so be, being, I'm Cambodian, I'm of Cambodian descent. Uh, my parents escaped the uh, Civil War, Pol Pot regime. So very similar to, um, I guess, what happened in Germany, Auschwitz, uh, they were part of like what they call the killing fields. Mm. So um, my parents um, escaped that. Uh, they were in the killing fields for, I think, three to five years. Like, I don't even know. Um, but so that uh, we, we came to Australia um, and they, we first, I think they first started like making money uh, first five to 10 years, like just sewing clothing. Mm. So for local manufacturers. Um, and then I think my dad got a job as a, like a, a machine operator somewhere. And then I think they ended up the last, I guess the last 20 years of their working, 20 or 30 years of their working lives, they worked as um, machine operators and process workers at a local uh, brake factory. Mm. Yeah, so um, that's what my parents did for work. Mm. Is is the movie uh, and and first they killed my father? First they killed my mother or father? Yeah, yeah like is that. that is that based on the Killing Fields in Cambodia? That's the, that's the based story? as it is. It's based on the Killing Fields in Cambodia. Um, mm. It was produced by Angelina Jolie and directed by wow. Angelina Jolie. That's so Angelina one. Jolie, when she did Tomb Raider, okay, they visited Angkor Wat, and she fell in love with Cambodia. And like, funnily enough, she adopt like she adopted a Cambodian kid. Yeah, uh, like she's probably got a kid from every country now. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> she's a big advocate for Cambodia, uh. um, and. 
she made, I think she made that. I, I don't know the reason why she made it, but mm. she's, she's a massive advocate for Cambodia. So mm. uh, thank you, Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen, um, just off topic real quick, but yeah, I've seen that movie and it's full on and it's really good. I want to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I've never heard of it. it well, is. it was when I saw it. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was by a Cambodian author. Yeah, um, book first, yeah. Yeah, and then she Love. obviously um, bought the rights to make a movie for that. Mm. Wow. that. It was um, really good. Mm. Full on. And now I almost need to watch it with another lens. Yeah. Just even this quick conversation. Oh, it's crazy. So. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Full on. Yeah. Cool. So the next question is, who is the most famous or well-known person in your phone book? <laughs> that, that one, I do not know any famous people whatsoever. Um, but that one was, the, I guess, the one that I thought about. Um, the most, or well, how to look at the list of questions. Yeah. Am I supposed to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, we give them to so you. So I look at the list of like, oh, I don't fucking know anyone famous. Um, but what I thought of was, um, uh, is that like we're kind of lucky now because you don't have to know anyone famous. Like you just got access to famous people. Yeah. You know, and um, through books and and mm, through YouTube. Media and- like yeah. it's like you know you don't get to actually talk to them and know them, but mm. you know their best work. Mm. You know, like so. Um, that was my answer for that. Your creative answer. <laughs> I don't know any famous people, but it's like it's cool. Like you know, yeah. like once upon a time, because I'm so old. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I used to want to learn like a certain song, mm. and I, I'd have to wait until like the music book came out for the music notes yeah. came out for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas now, if I want to learn a song, like I can just YouTube it. There's about 50,000 options Mm. um, and 50,000 versions of playing it. But, like, it's pretty cool. And that's someone's work, you know? Yeah. If you could have a famous person's number in your phone, whose number would you want? You know the answer. (laughs) There's two people. So you got two front runners. Oh, well, four people. Two of them are dead. Oh, well, your number would be null and void then. (laughs) Um, What job wouldn't you do? What job wouldn't I do mm. uh, in terms of this industry or anything? Any job. I don't know. I've never really thought of, uh, guess, doing in a job. Like, um, pretty boring answer. <laughs> but, it, well, within this industry, I think I've had the discussion with people is I probably wouldn't do uh, child protection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no offense to child protection. And I probably couldn't do resi care either. Mm. Uh, or any kind of like, um, I guess, place where, you know, um, kids get doors shut behind them and mm. things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not the profession. It's just my personality more mm. than anything. Like, I don't know if I could do that mm. kind of thing. And and being used to the place where I work, um, I feel like we we really don't like it's we we do the opposite. Not that. Um, you know, there's places like that that do really well and stuff like that. Personally, when I see those guys, I just and, and some and some of the young people and how some of the young people, I guess, treat them. Mm. I'm just like, ah, oh, I just hate to be them because mm. like they're just doing their jobs kind of yeah. thing. So yeah. that's my answer for that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ah, oh, the best piece of advice, man. There's just like. I don't know if I could actually pick one, you know, like there's just so much advice. Like, you know, I mean, 
It's from other peers. It's from young people. It's mm. from books. It's from, you know, gurus. It's from, like, there's just so much knowledge that you pick up over the years that, um, at, you know, you just learn so much stuff. Like, there's not one particular thing. Um, mm. It's everything, all those little things together that's good. But I, I guess um, in terms of if advice-wise, like, not advice, but I guess the biggest learning of my my career is um, just uh, in terms of the work is like it's more of like how like how do I articulate this? Um, you know, you you can have all these theories and and do all these things, but I think the best advice is just be yourself mm-hmm. um, and just be genuine. Yeah. Um, and and then you can know all the neuroscience, you can know all the models, you can know all those things. They're really handy. Um, but just be yourself and be genuine. And if you genuinely, uh, you know, want to support a young person and, and connect with them, um, I guess that's, um, you know, like, that's the start. That's the best start you can get. Mm. In, yeah. in, well, in my industry in particular and in the specific service that I work in, um, you know, you can you can jump into a, an assessment or something and, you know, ask some really personal questions, but, like, who the fuck is going to answer that? Like, mm. there are these, you know, the kids that we work with, um, trust doesn't come easy. Um, so don't expect to get it, like, from the get-go. Like, you gotta you got to earn your stripes kind of thing. Like, mm. so, yeah. um, you know, there's kids that, you know, there's kids that you work with sometimes that um, you might not get their, you know, um, respect for six months, or they might not even acknowledge you for six months, but mm. there might be something little or the way the way you go about your work or the way you go about your engagement, um, they might notice something mm. that, that you're, you know, I guess purposefully trying to, you know, support them or, or let them know that you're there. Mm. Um, I guess, you know, that like that's probably the best advice. Mm. That, yeah. Keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah, and then the rest, then the then you can, I guess, then you can use the rest of your theoretical knowledge, all the training that you do, all all the you know, I guess all all the gurus come up with Mm. that you know all the like contemporary stuff um, that we find like that's just no use if you can't if you can't get connect with a young person to Mm. even start to figure it out with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the answer to that question, mm. I guess. Yeah, that's a good one. And what was your, in regards to your work and getting into this industry, what was your aha moment, the moment that the kind of the penny dropped for you, this is what you're meant to be doing? So for me, um, I kind of fucked around and like at the end of, uh, well, I had a really, I guess I had a really bad experience at school in year 11. I went to, I guess, uh, like private school, Catholic school, primary school which was like awesome um I grew I guess I grew up in a poorer neighborhood than the school that I went to um but like you know primary school was awesome and then high school my my high school was pretty awesome too and then my high school only went up to year 10 and then we had to change high schools to choose a brother school the the brother school that I went to um I guess, in, like, I was a badass. Like, I had long hair. I hit it in my shirt. Um, I smoked cigarettes. And, um, 
you know, I was listening to Nirvana, so I was just like, every, <laughs> everything's a contradiction. <laughs> you know, I thought I was a sick cunt, this and that. But anyway, I was at, I did year 11 there and um, I, I don't know how the fuck I made it through. Um, but it was, I guess it was my first experience of like, yes, racism, you mm. know. And at the time I was quite angry and like in the first week I got busted smoking. I didn't go see the, the vice principal at the time and... Uh, he, he finally caught up with me a few lunch times later. Guys, come sit, come see me in in my office. I'm like, ah, fuck, fucking got me. <laughs> um, so I went to see, I went to see him, and um, basically he said, you know, uh, he said because it was the first year, it was a predominantly Anglo school, mm. and it was the first year there was an influx of like a quite multicultural, you know, European. Um, uh, Indian, Sri Lankan, like Asian, Asian countries. And like, it was an influx. Like, it was like, you know, it was very different. So, mm. you know, I had like, you know, everyone had their different dress styles or whatever. And, and I had really long hair at the time, which I was hiding from him at the time. And the first thing he said to me was, you know, why don't you come see me, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I thought you'd forget. And then the second thing he said to me, he goes, I never wanted your kind at this school. <gasps> And then I was like, wow, fuck you. You know, in my head, I was like, fuck you. And then it's like, you got detention with me for fucking two weeks, blah, blah, blah. Um, and from that point on, I was like, I guess pretty, you know, like we'll, we'll, my parents like worked their asses off. And then I was like, you know, part of that was my fault at the time. But um, I was like, why the fuck are they paying so-and-so thousand working their asses off, you know? So that you could be fucking racist to me, mm. fuck yeah. you, you know. So and um, also, you're a fucking teacher. Yeah. yeah. So like, but this guy was like, I don't know, man. He was like RoboCop. Like he'd mm. fucking wear disguises at the station <laughs> just to bust people. Like not wearing their blazers. Yeah, just for <laughs> shit like that. So I was just like, you know what? Fuck you, man. Like, um, you know, how dare you? How dare you make me feel like that? And yeah. how dare you say that about other nationalities? You know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and you're not fucking paying me to be here. You mm. know, my parents are paying you to be here. So mm. fuck you. So that was, I don't know how the fuck I got through year 11. Mm. Uh, I, I really didn't want to go to school then. So, you know, back then I'd just wag, go skating or something. Um, I guess the, the curriculum wasn't hard. So for the exams and stuff and all the assignments, I, I, I just did those. Mm. Um, and then I'd rock up for the exams and pass the exams. But the, that was the, last year that there was an attendance rate for uh, year 11 VCE. Right. So that's why I passed year 11. Mm. Um, so leading up to that, uh, I guess I kind of fucked around a bit. Um, I didn't finish year 12. Um, I was just working in factories and, you know, just hanging, hanging around and hanging with the boys and living the good life and doing all that stuff. And then I guess, you know, I just had like job after job where like I'm I'm doing like mindless shit and I'm just like ah oh, you know what like I thought I liked this at the start mm. you know and the money's good because everyone else is still studying yeah um and then I was like all right you know what um and I, and uh, coincidentally I, I took a like took a trip to Cambodia with my parents and stuff so um I got to see another you know I got to see where I was from mm. so when I came back um you know at the same time, 
um, I had been thinking about it because uh, my one of my best mates passed away when I was 18 as well. So um, I guess like, you know, like I just kind of, I probably, they'd probably call it depression now or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It probably was depression. I don't know what it was, but um, that kind of made me a little bit, you know, like go off track a bit. Mm. Um, but then once I once I went went to that trip, I came back, enrolled in um, VCE at TAFE, um, finished that, and then I was just looking for something to do after that. Um, and I was at the time I was working in hospitality or something like that. And then, um, and I guess at the same time as well, um, from from in my teens to the time, I guess when I was twenty, like. Um, big things were happening in my neighborhood. Like, so there was like a heroin, like in Springville, historically there was a massive heroin thing. Mm. Um, so a lot of, I guess a lot of friends that I grew up with, like it was all around me kind of thing. So, um, you know, I like, I hang out with um, a certain mate and, um, you know, who, who was like doing shit like fucking bergs and st- like he'd pick me up in st- stolen cars and shit. And, mm. And then I'd be like, well, whose car is this? And he'd be like, oh, I stole it. I was like, hey, man, let me fucking out, man, you know? And I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't want to recruit my record and shit, you know? Because, uh, you know, I'm not, like, I guess I had, I guess I had, like, really naughty friends, but mm-hmm. they knew, they were respectful enough to be like, oh, Mal, Mal doesn't want to do that sh- stuff. Yeah. Um. So, and the other factor is I'm, I'm a pussy. I'm, <laughs> I wasn't built for crime. And the reason why... Is because uh, I guess when I was thirteen, I was like I got busted shoplifting, and like the scariest thing in the world to me, mm. like it's not the cops, like cops, yeah, they can bash me, whatever, right? But the scariest thing to me is having parents that have done so much for you and and have been through so much. Mm. Like the day that I came home, like when I got bus- busted shoplifting uh, when I was thirteen, my mom nearly had a fight with the undercover lady, she goes, fucking take your hands off my son mm. because he doesn't he doesn't steal. I never taught him how to steal it. I was like, oh man. Dude. What'd you steal? What yeah, was it? Yeah, I wanna like, know. Mars bars in my fucking thing. There's like a 20 pack of fucking batteries <laughs> in my fucking Walkman. Oh my God, oh, you know what I mean? Walkman, yeah. Yeah, so. You needed the beats. Yeah, so uh, shout outs to mom. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the day I came home, um, and, and this is going to make me sound so terrible, but the day I got home, my father's like, he's broken his back twice uh, working as as he was because he'd, like, he'd have to sit down or stand up for a certain period. And back then there was no really big OHNS stuff. Yeah. So he'd slipped the disc and um, like he was like recovering from it. And I remember when I came home that day, like he was like looking out the window and he like back then like, at that age, it was like on the cusp of like, I guess, Cambodian kids. Like, I was brought up, like I would, I would get smacked mm. Um, mm. as a kid, and uh, like I never, I never kind of realized it. But like you know, it's, it's a little bit of a side story. But I, I never kind of realized that um, that the disciplining was like half disciplining and half trauma from, mm. you know, living in the killing fields. Yeah. So, mm. I guess. Some of the stuff that came out of their mouths, I was like, whoa, that was a little bit too harsh. You know, like, um, that sounds like, 
what happened in the killing fields mm. and that sounds like it's coming out of me. I never figured that shit out until mm. obviously like, you know, my mid-20s and when I learned about trauma and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to that, my father was like, I guess, like he, he was so disappointed in me like, and I never seen, like I never seen him cry. Like he's tough as fuck. Mm. He's tough as nails. And like, he, he was just like bawling. Like, um, he's going through so much and he's just like bawling and then, that was like, you know, that kind of really, you know, made broke me think, heart. yeah, broke mm. my heart. And I was like, oh, fuck, well, I'm a fucking idiot. What am I doing? You know, like, mm. but uh, like, I'm glad that happened at that time because mm. if it happened a bit later, you know, like, I guess, um, you know, I guess the penny dropped for me then. And and then, um, yeah, I was like, cool. I, I really appreciate it now. And then like um, going back to, uh where, where, where were we at? Like, we got sidetracked bad, didn't we? We were talking about getting in stolen cars and your friends um, the knowing and being aware that you're, oh, yeah, you didn't yeah. want Maybe to engage in that stuff. Not, the, penny, the penny dropping, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so the penny uh-huh. dropped like that. So that, that, I guess they understood that. Um, maybe they didn't, but um, they just knew I wasn't into doing that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of them was seeing a youth worker. I didn't understand what that was mm. back yeah. then. And, like, I thought, like, to be honest with you, I thought it was a pedophile. Oh. Yeah, um, right. I just didn't know. His you know? friend? He, no, the youth worker, not the friend, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah not my friend, sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, why is this guy being so nice? You know, like, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's the same It's the same thing that the, that the young people that come here are like, what the fuck's going on? Like, yeah, yeah. why are these guys giving me food? They don't understand, like, they don't yeah, understand they the profession, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. So It's the difference between rapport building and grooming. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, it, it's, tri- <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, it's a fine line, too. And, and I think, like, seeing that happen with that friend, that, uh, that couple of times mm. like made me when I was looking at the course guide mm. like which fucking course to do mm. I was like oh they've got that and yeah. that that was the first year that they had that wow. yeah. and then it came with um, a double diploma AOD counselling and stuff and um, you know I guess a lot of people like what, another one of my best mates I think um, he passed he passed away at 20 um, and he was a he was addicted to heroin and um, he OD'd, like, it was just fucking sad, you know? So, yeah. um, I guess, yeah, at his funeral and stuff, like, like I've been, I, I, I probably had been to way too many funerals before, like, during that age. And I don't know, like, maybe we all have, but, like, it was a very different time, you know? Like, mm. um, so that kind of, like, all right, cool, I want to, you know, I know, I know, like, I like helping people and stuff. Mm. Or that's what I thought at the time, like, you know, it was, it was you know, young naivety, I guess, like, helping people, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, I see it a lot differently now, but that's where my, uh, I guess, Your interest. aha moment. My aha moment started, yeah. Hmm. There is so many things in there that I was like, I want to ask about this, I want to ask about that. And now I've gone blank again. This is the notepad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny what you're saying because I think I, I find <clears throat> talking to people just in general that a lot of people that work in our industry kind of flirted with the side of life that a lot of the young people we work with are in. Yeah. And I think that obviously is really helpful because you can have a lot of lived experience in that space. Like I've known people that have used substances or, you know, people that have been arrested or what have you that, yeah, it just allows you to speak to that a little more than... And not that there's anything wrong with them. We've kind of been through this before mm. with people that have not a lot of lived experience and but have the same um, ambitions of, like, being supportive and helping young people 
and then they go to uni and what have you. But yeah. by having some of those lived experiences just bridges the gap a lot more mm. and you can bring that into your work. And I think like obviously at the moment um, you're working in like a drop-in space and having young people coming in and I guess changing tact a little bit is some of the story you speak of um, with a family that comes from like a multicultural background and having experienced racism, fast forward, I guess it would probably be give or take 20 years and now we've got a lot of young people kind of experiencing that again, like the South Sudanese population and other um, communities or um, cultures that have uh, are now immigrating to Australia mm. have probably very similar um, stories that they could share with you, I would imagine, yeah. of experiencing racism, whether yeah. it's in school or in the community. Yeah, just like, ch- I know. mean, like, look, that, that one experience was not, like, it was a catalyst mm. for, I guess, I guess anger and stuff like that, you know, mm. like, but it wasn't just that one experience. You know, mm. it was as many experiences uh, as well as that. That um, I think, you know, I think that when young people come in to see to see us at our agency, I kind of understand. Like, mm. like when they say, "Oh, fuck the cops," this and that. Yeah. Um, and, and as a worker as well, like I've seen some terrible behaviour from mm. from both sides. You know, from both the young people and the police. Um, and and other you know and other community um, services agencies support things whatever whatever you want to call them um, community members too like mm. people just don't understand each other when I guess when they don't understand each other like it's just a push and a pull like you know and yeah it's like kind of never ends until you know someone figures something out or someone surrenders or someone you know. Uh, what is it? Puts the olive branch out or whatever. Yeah, it extends yeah. the olive branch. Yeah, yeah, that thing. Mm. Um. So, can you tell us a little bit about? Got into youth. Did your general ed year twelve, year year eleven, year twelve, sir? Did your youth work that came with? Did you say a double diploma? Double dip. Yeah. Yeah, double dip. So, when you finished all your quals, what got you like first into a gig or? So, uh, a, a a good friend of mine I used to play basketball with grew up with and stuff, um, he was engaged to someone that worked at the place that I worked with. Right. And I was like, um, hey, man, just randomly, man, like, uh, i got to do a placement, blah, blah, I'm supposed to do two because it was a double dip. Yeah. And I, I was like, I'll do it all in one at, you know, the place that I do, yeah. uh, that I work at. Yeah. Um, will you... Well, you know, can you hook me up with something? Blah blah. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, like he got back to me, and he goes, yeah, you gotta, you gotta interview this day. Blah blah. Anyway, um, I went down after the gym with a friend, um, and then, um, and we went down, and like I was like in my shorts and my t-shirt, <laughs> like so casual. I didn't realize how formal, like the person, like the person who I came to know really well. Yeah. Comes out in this like power suit, like yeah. fucking all business, and um, she's she's very she's all like, business. Yeah, <laughs> she and she's super attractive. So my my mate um, was like, "Hey man, can you can you give me a placement as well, man?" And I, I was like, "Oh my god, man, I'm in fucking shorts and t-shirts, man. I should have wore something a bit more formal." Yeah. But anyway, like I guess um, I ended up, uh, you know, obviously, um, hopefully. I, I got it on the merits of the interview and not because of 
it was my uh, one of my good friend's uh, fiancés. Yeah. yeah. But she didn't interview me. I don't think. I can't remember. Okay. But anyway, I that's how it started. Did my um, my placement there, and um, I hit the ground. I pretty much hit the ground running. Um, like to be honest, uh, and no disrespect to TAFE, but at the time. I think the only thing I learned from TOEF was Maslow's hierarchy and a little bit of uh, motivational interviewing. Okay. Mm. And that was played on videos. Ooh. So. Um, in a VCR? In a VCR. <laughs> but, like, that was the most interesting stuff. And lo and behold, like, it's probably the most useful stuff to, mm. you know, to yeah. this day, like, that we use. So. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, you know, the drug and alcohol stuff uh, we touched on. But I kind of knew a lot about that just from growing up mm. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then through the work, uh, our the agency I work for has really good in-house training stuff. And mm. yeah, they just they always I guess they always try to stay at the forefront of you know pharmacotherapies, neuroscience, um, new and emerging practices. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot on the job yeah. as well. So, like, TAFE was okay. Like, I'm not totally banged TAFE. Thank you, TAFE. Um, it has its place. It, it had its yeah, place. Yeah, 100%. It's like yeah. the ticket in the door. Like, yeah. TAFE or a uni degree. And we've discussed this as well, but 100%, like, you, you need that to get in, of course. Like, you need to prove, like, some sort of qualification in what you're doing. But working directly with young people and um, and being given, I think, like, tasks and responsibilities of a specific nature in that role yeah, is then just like that's when you learn. Like, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, and I think like we've we've touched on it before, um, Josh, and I think you said, you know, you might study for four years or whatever and you might get to a stage where mm. you're, you know, you're fluent in your practice and your framework and whatever you're learning. But the day you step out of that qual, you start from, you start from day one again, mm. you know. And I think something that you re- said before, Marl, about being genuine and, you know, the no bullshit thing, and I've spoken about the no bullshit radar because um, young people have the best bullshit radar. Oh, hell yeah. And I think being able to, you know, show up for the person you're working with and to be genuine in your engagement with them is your right is going to be the best engagement tool because if you have their best interest at heart, you know, the other stuff comes. Like there's there's a time and there's a place for the formal education mm-hmm. system, um, you know, and people start working and they go back to study and whatever that might look like, you know, everyone does that in their own special ways. But being able to connect with the people that you're working with is going to best support you to do your work irrelevant yeah. of those frameworks. They have their place, absolutely. Most definitely, yeah. And I guess at the place I work, uh, also, like, what what is is also very, I think, you know, very valuable and probably the reason why I've been there for so long mm. um, is I've always been around such inspired people, you know, and, and they're, like, they keep you going because this shit's hard, you know. Like, mm. there's fucking hard days. You hear some terrible things and mm. you feel some terrible things for the young people that you work with and it's nice I guess like it's nice to to know that um people got your back and stuff and and that even though the tasks can be super fun at times mm. um you know I'm not trying to uh, put a downer on the industry or anything that's reality though the reality of uh some of the stuff that the kids that we work with go through, like, I, I'm just like, how the fuck can a human do that to another yeah. human? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, 
I just don't understand it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's where, you know, sociology comes in. That's where adolescent development, early childhood development comes in mm. and neuroscience, all those things, you know, and, and knowing a lot about those things. Um, it doesn't make it any better, but it makes it makes you, I guess it makes it a bit easier to, to, to kind of comprehend um, because the, the more you can comprehend it, um, the more you can focus on, you know, trying to do something positive or, or trying to um, just, you know, make it, you know, have a nice time with the young person. Like, mm. that's that's my number one thing, mm. you know. Like, I'm not going to fucking fix your brain because your brain has, you know, like a psychologist might have a chance. Mm. Yeah. But you won't sit in the room with a psychologist for more than two seconds, I guarantee you. Mm. Yeah. Just because it's very formal and because, um, you know, they're... Um, you know, I'm not like this is no disrespect to psychologists out there, but um, I'm sure that there are you know many psychologists that would that work really hard and and can do those things. But in my experience, um, it's just really hard to get the young person to stay still. Yeah, so, and it's a very sterile space a yeah. lot of the time. Like that that clinical sort of mental health psychology psychiatry field is very even as a worker stepping in there sometimes I'm like fuck this is claustrophobic the white walls it's very sterile yeah, it's not and, it's not inviting an opening like come in and you know let me help you and tell you about my life or you know mm-hmm. it's it's very and, yeah and, and and that's what I gauge things on like I, I like whether I, I I'm right or wrong I don't I don't know I don't think there's an answer to that but every decision I make based on my work with the young people, I put myself in their shoes, mm. but kind of in my shoes. It's like, fuck this joint. This joint has fucking locks, keys. No, there's not gonna be there's not gonna be engagement in this room. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's go somewhere else, or let's go somewhere where we don't have to look each other in the eyes mm. because you obviously don't feel comfortable. Mm. So it's all that sensory stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. So like, that's I guess that's what I mean, and I, I kind of feel like we got. I don't even know what we're talking about now. <laughs> That's fine. Can you um, tell us a little bit about, I know early on in um, the piece, um, before you became a standing part of the furniture, um, you did assertive outreach and some stuff with the Needle Exchange Program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, I'm testing the memory now. <laughs> it was like the, the cool thing, I think the cool thing about that, um, there were probably some negative things about that, experience um and that was I guess that like you know I guess that was based on more on um the work culture yeah okay so that like on one hand that made me really appreciate my work culture at the place that I work at because it was a separate place yeah um before you get into explaining it more because I I know you like now you've mentioned to me that Mal did that but can you for everyone in myself included just uh give me an overview of what the needle exchange program is or was uh, so it was just a, basically uh, to make it short and sweet. It was uh, like a primary health clinic that was attached to a needle syringe program, um, and the needle syringe program, I guess, just dispensed you know syringes, clean syringes to um, street substance users, um, injecting users, um, and I guess. Uh, sexual health stuff, including mm. condoms, to street sex workers as well. Mm. Uh, both of them kind of like, I guess, a lot of that was connected to each other. Mm. Interchangeable. Um, so part of that was like, you know, going on 
foot patrol uh, and delivering syringes to people on the streets. Mm. To be honest with you, by the time I started, there was no street scene. Um, so You mean because a lot of the use was sort of behind closed doors? Yeah, the street scene at that time had been cleaned up. So, okay. um, you know, I guess it was like one of the places that had a really massive um, street scene. Yeah, so that was interesting because it was like a snapshot of what would happen or what might happen to the young people that we work with if or, you know, down the track. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it was a good learning experience because, um, you know, I, 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 I really like to talk to the people that came in and, and um, uh, that, that's what made the time go by for me because, mm. like, there was only probably a couple of staff members that I probably really connected with there. And yeah. everything else was just politics. Mm. Um, how did the people that you were engaging with in the community or that were coming in, how, how did they receive, like, when you... You would, I'm, I'm assuming I'm picturing in my head that you were out sort of with a group of staff or maybe one or two at a time and approaching people on the street that were um, like heroin users. How, how, how did they take you coming there, you know, giving them needles? Did you actually exchange with them? Did, they, did you to, to, take um, needles that they used and take them away and then give them clean needles or was it just you giving them clean needles from the start? To be honest with you, I think... The, that program, the foot patrol program, went for about maybe five years longer than it should have. Okay. Um, I was a, bit, a little bit frustrated that I was basically getting paid to go out and have lunch in the place that I was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the, main, the main contact was in, like, coming into the, the shop front that was set up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was the main contact because mm. we we really actually had not many contacts, uh, like very low. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. When you say, um, I guess, the streets were cleaned up because when you were doing the um, needle exchange stuff, you know, we didn't really have like a street scene at that time and that's, that, that was before my time. But when you say they'd cleaned up the streets, what do you mean by that? Was it like, you know, the cops really being really heavy-handed in those areas trying to move people on or...? Um, I'm actually not sure, but I think I think what happened was, um, like just it was just a generation, you okay. know, mm. a generational thing. Plus, uh, the I guess the police presence had changed. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like without, you know, like I guess a lot of things have changed, had changed by then, and. Like, a lot of people have been moved on, incarcerated, right, um, yeah. recovered. Yeah. Uh, and, like, like, by then was, like, you know, really expensive property. Okay. Um, and, and the businesses have, were booming and, and things like that. But um, it was just, like, you know, like, there's only certain places in, in Melbourne where... That you could probably go on the street and like, like you know, score something mm. now, um, but but like I think that was the end of that kind of era, like yeah. you know, because it flows. Hey, like uh, different substances. Like, am I right? Is it like early? 
to mid nineties that heroin was like a peak sort of in the street culture. And then we kind of dipped off and other things would have picked up. Am I? Yeah, definitely, man. Like there's, tre- I, I think there's trends, availability, supply, demand, uh, you know, um, there's, I guess, historically with, with our country, you know, corruption runs all the way up to the highest levels. Mm. Um, so in terms of, you know, what what you'd know as drug cartels in America, mm. um, there were, I think there's there's the same there is what was and is and will always be the same thing occurring in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Um where there's prohibition, mm. there's you know, money to be money to be made. Yeah. Um masters ha- the war on drugs. Exactly. <laughs> so um yeah, supply, demand, uh generational, mm. um, so there's so many things, you know, like mm. that. I think you're right in saying that there was definitely the heroin sort of what people would, um, I guess, pin as the heroin epidemic. And again, I'm using air quotes because <laughs> as we've learned, I do this all the time and we're doing a podcast and people can't oh, okay. see what I'm doing. Um, but what what would have been, you know, I've heard a lot about, you know, that time and, you know, the overdoses and what was happening. And then and then now, I guess, we would talk about the, the ice epidemic, mm. again, doing the air quotes on that epidemic word, but it's it's the hot topic. It's, you know, that's the biggest issue. And I think, um, you know, there's a couple of politicians that are sort of in the game now that have been personally affected by ice and methamphetamine specifically. So it's sort of put out there to the public as, I guess, the hot topic for things. But it, it, it we definitely see trends and waves of different substance use, but there's still sort of, I guess, all out there. You know, you think of, and it's different from country to country, obviously, but like um, there's that, place in America at the moment that has the huge heroin epidemic. There's that documentary on Netflix. Um, Is it called Shooting Shooting Heroin? No, no. no? I think it's called um, Something Town. Something and Town. And there's the, the chief uh, of the fire brigade over and there and she just, like, runs around with Narcan oh, just saving yeah, yeah, the fucking that. world. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing, yeah. Yeah. And she, like, she has such a harm in therapeutic yes. approach, very relational, like, she uses a relationship-based model. Yeah. Um probably has a, a little less boundaries than we're allowed to have. Yeah. But it's a small town, you know, yeah. like, but it's, um, yeah, like, she's amazing. Like, Is it called Heroin Town? I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure. Like. It'll come to me. Yeah, anyway. But shout out the, to that lady. Yeah. She's the head of the fire brigade? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, so she's, I guess over there, and oh, I'll probably be called out on, on, how this is wrong, but um, the fire brigade in the States is sort of seen as the first responders. Oh, yeah, they do. They they have a medical component yeah, to it. Yeah, Melbourne's yeah. getting a little... Well, I've got a couple of friends that are firefighters and sometimes they will they will get called to a uh, medical emergency. Um, some Well, even maybe instead of an ambulance yeah, or they yeah. may just, because they're in station, yeah. that they would, uh, they would have the availability More to get so. to an appropriate mm. medical emergency that they can deal with. Yeah. So that um yeah. And the other reason why I think I know what you're talking about is in ridiculous shows like Third Watch. Do you remember okay. that one? No. It was uh, it was, it was actually do. really good. It was like a classic like early 2000s on 7, but it it documented the police fire brigade and ambulance and the fire brigade and the ambulance um worked out of the same out of the same place. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. So okay, so that makes sense what you're saying. I just picture like a firefighter going around and doing like um like assertive outreach in like a youth work capacity and I was trying to figure out how that kind of worked. 
Yeah. You found it? Yeah, it is. It's heroin with E in the uh, in the bracket. Okay. Oh, like it, heroin, yeah, yeah. Uh, hero is, and heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Love yeah but pun. she's an absolute fucking legend. Yeah. I, wa- I actually watched, um, I think you told me to watch that documentary actually now that I remember. <laughs> really? but, yeah, now we can't remember the name of it. But um, post that, there, there's a little interaction around how she supports some of the dudes um, that were heroin users and, and went to their sobriety meetings when they got their chips and whatever. Um, and then post that they interviewed her and she did a TED Talk yeah. and she's, like, blown up. But, yeah, she's a she's a fucking MVP yeah. for sure. Shout out to her. Cool. We don't know her name but nah. shout out to her. I'll remember and we'll put it in the notes it. or something. Yeah. So I'll watch the, the other documentary that you've watched. We'll do a tradesy. We'll the, Oh, um, and first they killed my father. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we digress. That's, um, a, that's a good thing, though. To yeah. like, yeah, to raise that stuff. I think, I think that's one of the cool things, like those resources and things like that of movies and documentaries that you end up listening to or watching to kind of bolster your knowledge around different things. Yeah. And, like, I think that's a perfect example um, yeah. for, like, people to, you know, I know whenever I listen to podcasts and things like, oh, I've got to check out that comedian mm. or I need to watch that movie, mm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Heroin. Good pun. I love a good pun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, really, it's it's quite sad, but it's a really, really cool documentary. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think, if, like, back to the drug trends and stuff like yeah. that, like, it's just so complicated. Like, oh, 100%. Like, yeah. if, if it wasn't complicated, like, I but, wouldn't have a job. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. So, yeah, I think, you know. And not only the drug trend is complicated, but then the individual you know, they're using substances because of trauma mm. and, the, you know, the, and then there's the intergenerational trauma and then that then affects their housing and then it affects their mental health. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, we talk about this a lot, like the dual diagnosis, diagnosis stuff that you're trying to treat someone for their mental health but they've got massive substance use problems Then you're trying to treat them for their substance use problems. But it exacerbates their mental health. Yeah. You know, yeah. And Chicken so, and the egg. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so complicated, let alone which substance it is. It's probably multiple too, right? Like mm. a lot of the time it's multiple. Yeah, yeah. probably substance so, use. Yeah. Mm. It's so funny. I, yeah, sorry, Mum. No, no, keep going if you want. So there, I was just like, the best, like for me, like I try to, like, I like to keep on top of information-wise, like with a young person, mm. like to know as much about them um, and, and their opinion and their views, especially with, the other services that they're connecting with. Because mm. you can hear about stuff through through a care team. You can read someone's file. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean shit sometimes because yeah. it could be documented in the wrong way. And oh. that's no offense to the person that documented it. Mm. Sometimes you gotta hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, and sometimes like it might take you reading their body language mm. to know that they're either like they're too scared to tell something mm. um, or there's something going on. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like it—it's so dangerous that because so often, because when I worked in custody, people would like young people would be labelled so yeah. quickly for for something that was their that was their, essentially their file. Like that kid, oh, you know, he's here because uh, he's a drug dealer, or he's uh, like he murdered someone, or he whatever the list goes on, raped mm-hmm. someone, whatever. But it's like there's that. And absolutely, is that probably the truth that they are a drug dealer, or that they killed someone, or that they raped someone? But what else is going on? Yeah. And not to minimize the, the crime act itself, yeah, or even take it out of custody, and that the fact that they're homeless or that they're using substances. But what else? What's the underlying 
you know, story? What's the trauma? What what else mm. is going on for that young person? Because mm. I know, um, like going back to what you said, Mal, around their file or what other care team members have to say is that you know there's always going to be like some un- unconscious bias or like yeah. something they're leaving out. And so often um, that when you're dealing with young people, especially in custody or if they've just gone through an incident or something like that and they'll say to you or you'll ask them what what's the story and they might say, oh, you know, go and ask my YJ worker or yep. ask the lawyer, read the file. Read my file. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to, dude. And then I'll be like, what, you, what have you got to say? Yeah. You know, and then they'll tell you and hopefully they're going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Mm. But there's always going to be an element of something that they say that is slightly different from what what's you've heard on or what's on paper or what you've yeah. heard from other professionals that hopefully, especially in like our space, which is really that community embedded kind of youth yeah. work as opposed yeah. to youth work with a criminal or like a youth justice overlay yeah. or youth work with a um, like a child protection overlay on top. Yeah. You can really yeah, just yeah. hear from them. And then yeah. you can start to understand, even if you know that whatever it is that's occurred is not okay, yeah. it allows you to get a more of an understanding around the circumstances. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm think not... like it's so – sorry. No, go, go, go. I think it's so true, like just a, the um, point you made in regards to asking the young person. I remember when I worked at Corrections and you you walk in sort of with your induction pack and you've got their summaries of all their offences and their criminal histories and, you know, all this fucking information about them that you've just been able to access and they don't know jack shit about you, you know, and you already walk into that room and there's a power balance. And I always used to start – my inductions because you have to go through the summaries to do like their um, criminogenic assessment and put it on the on the system. And I w- would always be like, all right, so do you want to tell me a little bit about offences X, Y and Z? And they'd be like, well, you've got it right there on the fucking paper. And I'd be like, yeah, well, there's two sides to every story and I don't know who wrote that so I want to know yours. Mm. You know, and it's such a big thing for them yeah. because a lot of the time no one wants to hear their fucking yeah. story. They're just that person that stole a couple of cars and yeah. did a home invasion or whatever and there's not a lot of acceptance, um, I think there is now and, and where I work now, there absolutely is. Yeah. You know, everyone wants to hear a young person's side of their story but I think a lot of the statutory sort of services, yeah. it, it is that read my file because they've never been given that or empowered to have agency over their own story. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they you do get those just blunted, shut-off responses of, well, just read my file because it's like, well, you're not going to believe what I have to say anyway. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I think... Um, the beauty, I think the beauty of the place that I work at, I think it's kind of like one of the final frontiers of not having, I guess, a lot of rules and regulations, which which is is a good thing and a bad thing, some bad thing sometimes. Mm. Um, but it gives you freedom for creativity to yeah. to to be creative about how you go about. Um, engagement and you don't have to like quickly go into you know critical incident mode uh uh secure welfare let's missing persons mode custody Mm. mode Mm. Mm. um you can be creative you don't have to tell them rules because it's voluntary for them to see us yeah um so we're i guess like our agency like we're often used as you know like the buffer or, mm. or, you know, can you pass on this information because I actually engage with you more than they've engaged in the things mm. that they're statutorily <laughs> Or we're worried about this person, they don't speak to us, can you do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's, I think um, the community 
uh, you know, the community partners that we work with, that I think that's they take advantage of that with us. And mm. that's not in a bad way. Like it kind of makes it makes us work together. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a kudos to the work that you do. Yeah. You know, if you've got that rapport and that relationship with that young person, you're the best person to sit with that. That's a that's a big kudos to say we can't do this effectively. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So mm. you mentioned creative a couple of times, which brings me back. Um, you know, you were talking earlier about when you wanted to play music, having to wait for the music book to come out, but now you can sort of just look at it on YouTube. And I know that's something that you utilise in your work now. Yep. Music is a big player in your life or has been a big player in your life? Oh, most definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, music-wise, like personally, mm. um, you know, mu- I love music. Like I, it's, you know... They say there's, what is it, seven intelligences? One of them is music, like musical intelligence. Yeah. I'm not musically intelligent. Yes, you are. But um, (laughs) I've always loved it. Like I love stories about, you know, like music tells stories. Music makes you feel things Mm. um, that, you know, I guess drugs might might make you feel, might enhance. That's why a lot of people take it. but just naturally, like yeah. it just triggers triggers things naturally for me. Um, it triggers my memory a lot. Okay. Um, and you know, and you associate memories with new music or whatever, like vice mm. versa. Yeah. Um, can that fuck up a relationship? <laughs> True. Or can oh, a relationship completely destroy don't play music? That song. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. memories thing. Yeah. So, look. Yeah. Um, I, I I played guitar, uh, you know, I started playing guitar at like 15 or 16. Um, and then the funniest thing was like, I, I've always like played guitar and I love band music, but I also love hip hop and stuff mm. like that too. I grew up in hip hop. Mm. Um, not really a dance kind of guy. Um, I probably have like a really popular taste in music and like, yeah. Um, it's secretly really cheesy. Yeah, um, <laughs> that happens. But um, yeah, that's me musically, and I've always been fascinated. So you know, I know a little bit of music theory. I know a little bit of sound engineering. I know a little bit about songwriting. I know a little bit about uh, musical processes, things like that, making beats, all that. So the, fir- the it's the funniest thing was pretty much my first paycheck that I got from YSAS. I bought like. You know, like the ultimate electric guitar, and I've, I bought the first um, digital music making, like box. It was called the M Box, and um, I, I, you know, like I bought that with my first few pays, because it was like at the time, like almost five grand worth of shit, right? Um, so that progressed into how do you record music? You know, how do you write music? How do you, like, how do you manipulate sound? And I just became like. You know, um, I'd go, well, I'd go through phases where, you know, I, I'd play a lot of guitar and just go crazy. Like, that's all I do. Um, and just, like, that's how I, I guess I learned about that stuff just through, like, hobbyist kind of deal, mm. you know. Like, um, and then um, I did case management for a very long time. Um, and then it just, like, somehow evolved organically, yeah. organically into we we co-ran a um thing with a musical music like a music musical therapy type kind of agency yeah. um 
And I, I also ran a design thing which left us with computers. And, and, you know, if anyone knows anything about our industry, funding is hard to come by, especially for fancy, you know, Apple toys, yeah. Apple computers plus sound toys. So, um, you know, what's evolved my job, uh, you know, I guess I work at a, a day program. We, we try to engage young people um, that, that aren't in school and, and are disengaged and... Um, have been disengaged for a very long time, uh, are connected with the criminal justice system um, and, and have multiple complex um, things going on. Mm. Uh, so, like, the in the last two years, like, what's kind of blown up is young people wanting to, you know, um, particularly with hip-hop, um, mm. young people wanting to tell their story um, through that genre mm. and... I've all of a sudden become the the guru, the guru, the guy that you know you the makes their rap, their rap songs sound good. Um, also, like I, I could take credit and shit for it, but like just having the equipment is you know, and knowing how to use equipment or showing them how to use equipment. Like once they do that, it's it's actually like it's actually quite complex. So mm. we get um, you know we get a lot of like we're in a lot of care teams or we we work with a lot of professionals. Are like ah. Oh, they won't read, they won't write, they won't do this, they won't do that. But then, you know, to become a sound engineer or to become a, you know, a music, like a music person, mm. there's university level and um, TAFE, TAFE level courses where they learn that as a profession. Mm. Um, and these guys are doing some of that stuff. Mm. So I'm just like, all right, like, don't, you know, like. Don't rule out got, all those things. Don't rule out all those things. Mm. You just gotta like, they just gotta want to do it. Like, they just don't want to read. What you're giving them. They don't want to yeah. read Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the yeah, what the fuck does it have to do with their lives, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. um Do you uh, think that a lot of young people nowadays relate to sort of the rap scene and the hip hop music because they feel like that what what's being sung about or what's being rapped about is something that they can align with? Yeah, rather most than de- most definitely, man. Like, you know, uh, the funny thing is 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 and this is gonna make me feel and sound so old, <laughs> is I have to study what they're actually saying in their lyrics. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I know what they mean now, mm. I think. Um, but I, I was just sitting there because I don't I, I don't listen to a lot of modern hip hop. Mm. Um, like the hip hop that I like or that I'm used to is like nuts, like from the late '80s to the I guess mid 2005s, right? Yeah. So anything after that has like all this new slang. You know, all this new culture, all these new noises, you know? Like, yeah. I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, like, there's certain things. And then, like, um, you know, so, sometimes you just sit there and they're young. I was like, oh, you know, who's your favourite artist? And they're like, oh, you know. Um, and they'll name some artist that I have no idea who it is. Yeah. You know? And then I was like, oh, man, sorry, man, I'm old. I, I actually don't know. But I'll watch, I'll sit there and watch it with them. And um, I'll try to, you know, like, but can you make me sound like that? And I was like, <laughs> I can try, you know, like. And then, like, we'll just, you know, we'll problem solve and I'll show them how I would do it, like, as, like, a, a vocal chain or whatever. And, mm. like, although it's quite complex, um, they they get to see that process kind mm. of thing. So, um, And I would imagine lyrically when they start writing lyrics, that would, that would be an amazing tool for you to start to get the young person open up about their story and start to, to share things with you through the words of their songs and... and yeah, no, nah, man, like... For real, like there, there was like uh, I guess th- that that it, like what you're talking about 
was maybe a little bit too much. Like there was, mm-hmm. I guess there was a there was a, a moment that I that I experienced with a young person. Like I thought it was fictional mm-hmm. what, what that young person was talking about in his song, and then he was like, uh, "Mo, you know, listen to the lyrics." And I listened to the lyrics, and I was like. I think I've got to call the police. <laughs> like, yeah. I went through it with him and stuff. And yeah. I was like, it took, like, it was a week's worth of work. Mm. Um, and not a week of nine to five, a week of countless hours of work. Yeah, yeah. Time. Just to coordinate that mm. kind of thing. So, um, yeah, like, but it was the first time I was like, I, I went there. Like, I like I never anticipated going there. But um, uh, luckily, um, like, so, I, like, he he... He gave me, you know, we have the confidentiality mm. stuff that we, you know, we've got to work with um, around around those things. And um, I guess, you know, the young person spoke about murdering someone mm. in, in this song. And um, I actually followed it up. He, he allowed me to do it. Mm. I worked with his family because um, it was also issues of mental health and, and, and that alongside that. So um, I, I, I made a call to a police in the area of where he claimed to have murdered this person. Mm. Um, and um, I guess fortunately, I don't know now, but fortunately, I guess the the police officer that I spoke to um, said, like he did some investigating and he goes that during that time, there's no missing persons of, of that, like, there was no missing persons or unsolved murders mm. in that area at that time. With that description. With that description. Mm. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, yeah it was like, yeah, I, I think it was just a complex, like, mm. young Situation. person and, and um, maybe, maybe a fictional, you know, thing. Yeah. But yeah. Like, How do you, I guess, that's some pretty heavy stuff to... Um, be hearing from someone and I think that's the reality of the work we do unfortunately is that you know there's like you know your Sunday barbecue conversations oh that must be so rewarding yeah it is fucking rewarding sometimes but sometimes it's fucking shit oh you know and the things that you have to hear and you know it's horrible that it happens to that person let alone but also it's really hard to take that on sometimes and a lot of the people Mm. in our field are quite empathetic people and you know you take that on you take that um it's heavy how do you I guess you've got all of these people that you're working with that you're doing the creative stuff with, you're doing the art, you know, and art therapy has blown up. Like it is yeah. such a huge yeah. thing in today's um, today's world. And I think that's fantastic, you know, things like equine therapy and, you know, music therapy and art therapy. I think it's fantastic that there's those modalities to, you know, support um, people with. But how do you, I guess, outside of that then deal with that? Because if you're engaging in, say, like a, you know, you're doing some recordings with a couple of kids throughout the day, or throughout a week, there's there's multiple heavy pieces of information that are being disclosed to you, not necessarily directly, but through the music that they're writing. How do you deal with that outside of that space? Because I imagine there would it would be constant. Yeah, look, I guess like um, that that particular case, I think it was like I guess it was a little a bit a bit of exceptional or an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are you know like there are quite violent. Themes and and things that come up in some of the music, but mm. even traumatic, I would imagine. Like the young person is kind of opening up their diary to you when mm. they kind, write. Kind of, but like you know. to be honest, um, a lot of the hip hop is fictional, and mm-hmm. okay. it's quite. It's like it's more like you know bitches and hoes and stacks <laughs> of money and you know driving Ferraris or whatever. Yeah. 
So I was like, Cocaine it's, and it's more, yeah, it's more monkey see, monkey see, monkey do kind of deal. Like they'll see it on YouTube and then try to emulate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, you know, once upon a time I was watching Bruce Lee films and thought I could fly kick um, someone <laughs> in the head. And then, you know, like it was kind of like that, you know what I mean? Um, Karate kid. Yeah, and then it fell on my ass and like it hurt myself. But um, it's, it's more, for me, that's what it's like, yeah. you know? And then... Some of it's truthful, you know, like, so some of it is fuck the cops, you know, some of it is, um, you know, it's it, like if you're from the outside looking in, it might seem quite negative. Mm. Mm. Um, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, I guess other places that have recording studios or that are, that are free or, or that aren't, I guess, um, you know, regulated in terms of, ah, oh, you can't say fuck or you can't express yourself in a certain way. Um, I feel like that they, that it doesn't happen here. And yeah. sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. But they're, for me, they're, they're expressing themselves in their art. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they're here. And they're here. They're there. They're, and these, you know, they're for visiting. me, these are the kids that will not go <laughs> to anywhere else, mm. will not engage in things they're supposed to engage in. Yeah. Um, even if it means they go back to um, incarceration. It mm. just makes no sense to them. Mm. Mm. Um, and they're obviously not ready. Um, so I, I, I guess I could be probably seen as a villain sometimes uh, mm. to other services or, mis I guess, misunderstood what, what I try to do. Mm. Um, uh, but I'm, but you know, like, I, I have, you know, I can... I guess I can, you know, just talk about the therapeutic. Mm. The, I can, you know, I can, can back it up. I can back it up with it. theory, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, so like, I, yeah, exactly. Like, I could go into an example, but um, it might might reveal. Might ruffle some feathers. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's for me like it's just an, an engagement tool, and like we talk, we're 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 working in uh, an age where it's like all sensory stuff is like huge, huge. Yeah. And for me, the most sensory, the two most sensory things that young people, um, you know, use is a smartphone mm. and a computer. Mm. Yeah. You put them on a computer. You don't. They don't. They look at their Facebook, and they will show you their lives mm. or what they like or, or you you don't have to do an assessment on them mm. because they'll show you and then they'll show you who their cousin is or mm. what their dad they'll tell you about the dad or you know like even youtube as well like they'll show you what music they like mm. you don't exactly you don't it doesn't it doesn't mean you have to like the music that's right mm. you know because like there's kids that come in here and you know they'll play a certain type of music which you know is called drill and it's right that's a certain type of rapping right yeah <gasps> yes sorry <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, a a it's, it's a new type of hip hop that it's kind of like repping your hood, okay. right? So it, it kind of came out of the UK. Uh, I like apologize if I get this wrong, but um, it's, it's all right. Like, we don't fact check here. It's fine. Okay. Spend some shit. So basically, what 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 is the trend at the moment is kids trying to rep their suburb, trying to rep their little crews, and and get out there and 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 get views and get likes because likes and views. Mm. I like, I don't know, like it's phenomenon, like yeah. that, mm. that I guess I don't understand. Um, but it's it's a way of, I guess. Um, well, it's a new self esteem, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, self esteem, but like, like it's like it's how also many likes you get on your what do you photo? call it? Like social um, acceptance. Cred? 
Yeah. You know, like yeah. that kind of thing. Street cred. Street yeah. cred or whatever. Like yeah. it's it's how they measure themselves sometimes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, identity too is a huge And identity. Factor. So like even though I don't understand it, like I'll watch it and try to understand it, you mm. know? Um, and then if we're making, we're trying to make that stuff, like, you know, like 99% of it is fictional. Mm. But then I guess there are a cohort of kids that will like, you know, stupidly, like it's like if you play Grand Theft Auto, mm. yeah. you know, <laughs> most like 99% of kids will like play it and like collect their cars or do, play the game and clock it or whatever or finish it. Yeah. yeah. And then 1% of those kids will go out there and try to steal cars. Like, In real like, life, yeah. You know, like it's like me watching Bruce Lee and um, mm. go and try to fly kick someone, try to do the same moves. Yeah. And hurt someone, get in trouble for it. And then, you know, mm. that's that. So, like, I don't, I don't think it's any different, but the bad thing about that is there's always a victim for it. And, and you know, um, I, feel, I, I feel really bad for, like, if, you know, imagine, like, you got home invaded. What the fuck? Like, yeah. you know, like that would probably be the most traumatic thing you would ever experience. Like, mm. I, I make no excuses for that. Um, but we still, we're still talking about, I guess, kids that don't understand consequences. Yeah. Or don't care about the consequences. And never, or have never been taught about consequences. Exactly. So have never had role, like behavior role modeled for them. Exactly. So and and the, that behavior has been role modeled that way to for them. them. Yeah. yeah. To them. So. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, like I guess we we as workers understand that, um, you know, um, but it's you know, it's I wouldn't talk about that to to people outside of that because yeah. you'd have to give them you, you almost needed a, like a degree or, or like experience in sociology and and that that type of sociology, that type of neuroscience, that type of adolescent development, that type of early childhood development to understand, mm. you know. Um, you know, intergenerational this and intergenerational that and, and trauma and all those things. Like, I guess we take that, like, we as workers take that for granted um, yeah. if, we, uh, if we actually understand it at all. Yeah. You know? Um, You're right, though. I think there's many a times that I've... Um, I always bring my dad up on this and he probably listens to this at home and froths it. But, I remember, <laughs> like, there's been multiple times that dad and I have, like, you know, pretty similar personalities and we, we push each other's buttons. But we will get into extremely heated disagreements at the dinner table because he will make some uneducated, snide comment that he doesn't necessarily agree with but he knows it'll, it'll push my buttons. And then there'll be, you know, a, it's a discussion about, He's very well aware of what my viewpoints are. And there was definitely, I remember when I first decided I was going into this field and did my student placement and I got the job at Corrections. And I remember one of the first questions Dad asked me was if we got guns. And I was like, <laughs> sorry? And he was like, do you get a gun? Like, you're, you're, you're working with murderers and, like, sex offenders and, like, all of the. What do you mean? Like, this is my 18-year-old fucking daughter going to a room with... What are you doing? You can't... Cool. I don't think you mm. could do that. Is there security there? And, yeah, yeah. and he went into this meltdown mode. And at the time, we were in a small location. We didn't have security. And it was, you know, a, a younger sort of workforce. And um, he was mind-blown that that was something that we would be doing. But even to this day, you know, Dad and I will have discussions about the current climate or about, you know, people who use substances or... Um, you know, um, mental health or whatever, and even still now, that it's it's a much more healthy band now and I've probably learnt to articulate myself a lot better because back in the day when he would push my buttons, he did it deliberately because he knew that I'd get angry and I'd be like, you don't fucking get it. You know, and it, I've obviously matured and grown over the years and we can have a much more healthier discussion about it. But there is definitely um, 
a different perception within the broader community because they're not in it. They don't see it every day. They're not exposed to it. And it's not something that it's out of sight, out of mind for them, yeah. you know, you, yeah. and, and all they see is the generalised, um, like, sensation of scare tactics through media mm. and that's not yeah, reality. Yeah. So, Definitely but so. I, I totally agree with you and it's almost like there's, it's a secret world, yeah. you know, and, like, no matter how much you can explain something to people like i like if if they're not in the industry and sometimes they're in the industry mm. and like which is really frustrating side note um <laughs> and they don't understand it yeah. you know and and like it's it's pretty like like complex stuff to understand like mm. that the stuff that we do cuz it's a mixture of some pretty um complex you know concepts professions things like that like mm. Not everybody could be a neuroscientist. I'm not a neuroscientist. Mm. I kind of understand some of it yeah. enough to understand what I need to do to support the young person I'm working with. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and going back to the point, which I think links, and <laughs> sorry if it doesn't, but what you were saying before of um, that a young person that you'd hate the idea of someone that records music with you would go into a home invasion, but they like. It's kind of like the conversations we've had before about substance use, like, and yeah. the concept of like the parent or whoever, like, can you fix them? Yeah. Like, you're not going to fix them as a drug and alcohol worker. You doing music and the young person recording raps, talking about, for example, stealing a car and and running through a house during a home invasion. That is like they didn't learn that from you and your session. And by doing your session, isn't gonna, it's neither gonna stop them from doing that, nor is it gonna teach them how to do it. But it's gonna provide them the opportunity to engage with somebody that, and I always talk about it like the like just um, like planting the seed and putting the water on it, you know what yeah. I mean? And you probably will never see the plant or the tree grow, but mm. you can put water on it. And who knows? Like, and I'm sure this has probably happened where, and maybe it hasn't, but I'm, I'm sure it has, like where they've written a lyric and you might have said, how about we change this? Or what do we change that word? What about it? We don't call them bitches, but we call them girls. Like you still might be a little derogatory, but you're slightly just changing the attitude a little bit or the fact that every time that they see you, you say, please, you say, thank you. You're calm when they get frustrated. You help them regulate themselves. Yeah. Like they might still go and rob a house or do whatever they're going to do, but you're continuously putting water on the seed. Mm. Like you couldn't, I don't think you could ask much more from mm. someone in this space to do that, to continually put water on the seed. Mm. You're not going to grow the whole fucking tree. Exactly. Yeah. No. And, most stuff. Like. I, I, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And uh, like, uh, like I think an example of that is like, I guess I've had discussions with colleagues that you know it's like, you know, you know, using derogatory words and things like that. And I was like, um, I actually like a lot of the time I'm not part of the the, the songwriting process. Like these kids have the, the kids have songs ready to go. Um, you know, I just, I just, I press record for them and I get out of the, you know, I leave them in the space, I get out and then um, they can share it or whatever. Uh, a lot of time I actually don't, because it's so busy, I actually don't get to listen to the music. Mm. Um, so I actually don't know the content of the music. But I'll give you an example is, you know, bitches and hoes, suck my dick, that kind of shit, right? Like, it's really derogatory towards women. Um, so, I, you know, I had these 13-year-old kids, like, that was the content of their stuff. <laughs> but, 
they they rock up they rock up to the, they rock up to the program and it's just like it's exactly the opposite because yeah. they're like really sh- they've got these two girls that like I think you know they're kind of you know having having infatuation with each other and and like they, you know they're trying to mac on these girls yeah. and it's like you know hand over fa- hand over their, their mouth <laughs> and then like the girls are doing the same thing I was like suck my dick whatever you guys you guys are just trying to act hard you know yeah. like and I was yeah. like um that's totally like it's there's there's a big difference between that and mm. um it's it's you know like going back to what you're saying is like they can write those things but it's you know like it's up, it's up to them to learn you know it's when they get into a relationship mm. if you continually call someone a bitch in a home and to suck my dick i don't think that relationship's going to last very long that's right you know yeah. what i mean like that's up to them to experience you know mm. Mm. Um, and i think also just creating a space where they can be creative with no judgment yeah. you know even mm. to be able to sit in the space and um, irrelevant of like the derogatory terms or whatever, but being able to be like, this is your time to sit here and record this song and it's your song, like it's your rap, it's your, yeah. you know, music, it's your beat, it, whatever that might be. This is yeah. wholeheartedly yours. Exactly. And, then, and you can do whatever you wish. And I think it's like mixed signals because, you know, in in, in America or the, the most successful hip-hop artists have said what exactly yeah what they've wanted to say some of it's still fictional too you know like yeah. it's like braggadocious mm. like they call it in the hip-hop world braggadocious when you rap you have to you have to talk about how much better you are mm. than the opposite rapper or whoever you're opposing yeah um there's a massive there is a massive um percentage of that in people's um in lyrics mm. it's how it's how you develop your style mm. um i'm not a lyric writer i'm not a rapper but that that's how you get famous is like you know artists like Snoop Dogg you know BRG yeah um to, like that's how they get Tupac. famous like the the they they came up on the streets like just spitting spitting things out 90% fictional mm. 10% yeah you know what like um you know NWA for example mm. um yeah they you know the way i see them was like yeah at the time People thought that that you know what they were doing was, you know, horrific, like mm. horrible, like mm. and um, obnoxious and things like that. But turns out they were reporting mm. about what was happening in Compton, mm. LA, about the inequity of police brutality, uh, gentrification, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Mm. And I guess you know the 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 fluke of it was. People love that music. Yeah. And, like, and loved a the real, underdog. There was a realness to it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they were telling the truth in, like, a fictional way. Yeah. Um, but they changed that changed the world forever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think, you know, like, up until uh, I think the 2000s or, like, I think 2005 even, um, hip-hop was never in the top ten of, mm. of the... Up until then, it was just rock, like all these genres. Pop and yeah, and then now hip hop. There's more hip hop songs in the top ten than any other songs. Yeah. Um. So I mean, the, like, it's not gangster rap. I don't know. Like, I don't really know what the top ten is like of each country. And there's so many, you know, hit list charts yeah. to choose from now. 
Um, mm. But it's like it's just an interesting thing that I, like I randomly watched somewhere. It was like, um, yeah, the charts were always filled with like popular popular songs or pop music, and then um, just there was just there's a certain era that it's like it's just all hip hop now, yeah. kind of thing. Like, not that that's a bad thing, but no. it's just interesting how that evolved, kind of thing. So, um, you know, like, yeah, like kids kids will be drawn to things, and mm. like I think. The thing I noticed, you know, watching so many generations grow up, man, I'm so old. Stop giving away your age. Is that, like, the the one thing I noticed about each generation that grows up is they don't want to be like the generation before before them. Yeah. So if we're wearing pink, they want to wear black. Yeah. You know, if the pants are long, they want short pants. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I just don't. It's, it's just there the way it is, you know jeans, what I mean? And then there were skinny jeans. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then you have people like, people like me that just don't know what to wear because I'm confused now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do remember once upon a time when skinny jeans made a comeback. I would have been early high school and I was shopping with a girlfriend of mine and I was like, you will never see me in those skinny jeans. I don't want to see my ankles. And I went on like this red. And now every time I put on a pair of my jeans, I'm like, uh. yeah. That was the best, like uh, the baggy jeans. You know, the baggy jeans and skate shoes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had a pair yeah. of Etnies and Galas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, Galas. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I got a pair of baggy jeans, how excited I was because I felt like I fit in. Yeah. You know, like that. I was really excited because um, I'm a, I am was a bit younger during like the Wu-Tang Dada phase. Oh, uh, yeah. But that was definitely like my older brother that was riding his vibe. And yeah. I remember I got a <laughs> matching yellow um, Wu-Tang tracksuit nice. and it was like Respect. that parachute, like this yeah, material, yeah. that parachute material and I would wear it everywhere Respect. and I was like, what a fucking vibe. Yeah. And I look back now and I'm like, why would anybody let yeah. me out of the house oh, in that? So I was probably good. still wearing those runners with the light on the back that um, lit up when you walked <laughs> with my matching Wu-Tang puppy pants and my puffy jacket. Still wear that that now. So I want to wear that now. Yeah. I, I love Wu-Tang. I have one of those big <laughs> 05 <laughs> gridiron like... Boo-boo. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the USA jumpers? They oh, were huge. They were huge. What, what company was that? That was... Um, Danny Markets, man. Russell, that... Russell? Was that Russell? Russell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then all the Russell. poor kids wore the AUS ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, juice, the juice jumpers? Juice was my, I think my sister had a juice jumper. Or oh, the billab- when billabong started to get, but like the old, mm. like old school looking billabong stuff. Blue light disco um, fashion. Yeah. Was those. The blue light. Do you remember the, there was the Fubu... And Dada and uh, Wu Tang, the little stall in the middle at Fountain Gate. Do you guys remember? Uh, well, no, you guys remember that that was oh, I feel time. so. Or I was in high school. I don't that was like that. it was like full of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. What was, what's your most embarrassing um, like stage you went through oh, in your life? In like my you, life? Yeah, like you know, you had like the emo stages, and you had like the Wu Tang vibe, and you had mm. like everyone went through the you know the basketball stage where everyone was wearing like Lakers jerseys or like Chicago Bulls. Side note, I'm really proud of myself for naming two basketball teams just off the top of my head there. Um, just the two most famous ones, but that's cool. It's better than Miami Heat. <laughs> oh, I don't know because I, I actually enjoyed all those moments. Like, yeah. I look back yeah, on we now, all enjoyed them then. I look yeah. back on now, but probably the most ridiculous was like when like hip, like, you know, uh, like I was like, you know, just into high school, 13, 14, and like everybody was rapping and like, you know, there was like, there was like this... Uh, group called crisscross that um <gasps> used to wear all their stuff backwards, yeah, backwards. Yes. yeah yeah so and like, what's that song 
Um, there's Jump Cruise Jump, Cross. and then yeah. there's uh, there was another one that I liked too. I can't, I can't remember the name of it. But, um, but anyway, my my schoolmates and I like we would wear like these certain brands. Like I can't even remember the name. Like Cross Colors and did you wear know, it backwards? Clue. Oh my no, god! No, they wore it backwards. We get, like so it's embarrassing for them because they wrapped and they wore them backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I would have did the same, but I was just like. I was wasn't I was too shy to rap, yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean. So we go back to the days, and like those guys, you know, they had no shame. Like they, you know, they'll fearless. Like they jump up on the stage and just start spitting mm. and stuff. Um, so um, that, that, in terms of embarrassing, that's probably the most embarrassing stage t- you went through. Because like it was like that wearing that attire was just mm. so different to what I've ever worn before. Yeah, kind of thing. So I went from like you know not normal clothes to my parents being like, are you sure you want them this big? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to have to roll up the ankles. And then they're like, they just like refused to buy them. They were just like, no, nah, I'm not spending that much because they're so expensive. Like, they're in yeah. demand. Like, like, so I like, you know, my friends at that time were like hand me down stuff. Yeah. Um, And then like, they just didn't, it's something parents didn't understand then, you know. But, no. And um, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think parents now understand that. Because even, you know, I went through stages and my, like, my dad and, um, like, people in my family never really understood that. I don't get it. Why do you want mm. these trackies or, you know, why do you want this or why do you want that? And I think because they are hot at that time. Yeah. Commas again. Um, they are expensive. It's the sales market. market oh, man, it's, expensive. it's marketing like, 101. Yeah. Like, like, you want to, you know, like, on one hand, it's good that kids play video games to so improve their, you know, hand-eye coordination, yeah. things like that. On the other hand, if they're exposed to video games that are violent mm. and, and they take it the wrong way and they're, they're not at, you know, an emotionally intelligent age to be like, this isn't real and this is real, yeah. um, then, you know, we'll probably be working with them. Yeah. Um, you know, like, so I think, you know, I guess anything can be bad if, you know, yeah. If it's in the wrong hands, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm. and too sa- much of anything's gonna yeah. be poisonous. That's yeah. the reality. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, um, it's more about, I think a lot, a lot of the work that we do, I feel like, is filling in gaps or clarifying things mm. or just like teaching things or just kids learn by observing. So, in, you know, in a day program space, the most important thing that they could probably observe is me being nice to my colleagues. Mm. Yeah. And and me being nice to other young people and encouraging other young people to be nice to each other mm. because I guarantee the same kids would roll each other on the streets. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, without this environment. Mm. Um, and, and there's been times when kids have been like, yeah, um, that, that guy dog-shotted me yeah. in, in, in um, ju- juvie. Mm. But... He like he felt safe enough to still be here because mm. I was like, don't worry, it's, nothing's gonna happen in here, man. Mm. Like they can't like. This is know, a safe place. This is a safe place. That shit doesn't, you know, that shit doesn't fly in here. Mm. Um, you leave your shit at the door. And um, so that's you know going back to the work that that's you know, I guess kind of cool. Yeah. Um, what what we encourage where where I work kind of thing. So. Mm. Mm. Role modeling. It's good. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I reckon to wrap us up. Yeah, we have your, um, one final question. Go for it. That I. It's your question. I just made it up and now. now stuck. stuck with it. I mean. Yeah. Please. Okay. If you, <laughs> if you had one, uh, I guess, gold nugget or piece of advice or um, direction for the new and emerging workers that are, you know, coming into the field or just starting out their careers or potentially maybe swapping, you know, from the adult field to the youth field or whatever that might be. If you had one piece of advice for those people, what would that be? Um, it's pretty simple. Um, for me, it's enjoy yourself. Like, enjoy the work, you know? Like, um, you've, got to, you've got to love what you do. And if you don't love what you do, stay the fuck out of this industry because, um, you know, I'm not being hostile about that, but we work mm. with very very fragile young people. Yeah. And if you're not right, um, please please make yourself right and then come and work in the industry. Yeah. Um, and if you're working in the industry and you're not right uh, and you, you know that, take a break, take a holiday. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I guess, you know, and I don't want to finish on a bad note. No. Some of the most frustrating part of the work is other workers that don't get it mm. um, and other workers worrying about other workers that have, you know, whether they've me meant it or not, um, you know, just not doing, like, just not being, being well and not yeah. being well enough to work because you have to have a high level, I guess, of concentration, you got to be alert. Mm. You got to be creative. You've got to be, you've got to know, or you know, you, you know, you got to be on top of everything. You got to be well informed. Yeah. You got to be super alert. I'm not saying like you know you got to be a Navy SEAL or anything like that, but um, you know, it's it's a pretty high high intense job. And you can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly. So yeah. you know, like um, Keep yourself inspired, like like on a you know on a positive note, it's like keep yourself inspired, you know, like keep yourself balanced, um, and make sure you're coming into this job for a right reason or you're choosing the job for a right reason. Don't just choose it because it's got a paycheck on it. Uh, don't. I just... mean, if you want to earn good fucking money, don't come into well, this don't come sector into the anyway. Industry <laughs> in the first place, if you want to earn Wrong good money. Wrong industry. But um, at least we get paid for this shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like look. Um, yeah, just what like you just gotta love what you do, and that's that's fucking anything in life. Like, yeah. don't do it if you're just doing it to pay the fucking bills. Like, if you have to, yeah, and you don't have that choice. Like, you know, I, I, mm. you know, I simply like I understand that, you know, mm. but um, you come into this industry, make sure you love what you do, um, and make sure you enjoy it, yeah. um, because it will make life a whole lot easier for yourself mm. and your colleagues who. Yeah, like well, in in the job that I do, and, and you know, um, I'm really thankful. But I've always been around really inspired people, mm. and it's always it's kept me where I am um, for that long. Mm. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't know if I could work for another agency. Like if I, if I don't do this work, mm. I won't be doing this work. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So to close us off before we do the, the end spiel, I'd like to reiterate that in you have said a couple of times today during the podcast that you have been surrounded by inspired people and that has kept you inspired. And I'd personally like to say thank you because you have been that personally inspired person for me. So thank don't you. forget that in this space. 
Yeah, we talk, uh, I think we're talking. <laughs> I just remember when you first came and we did a couple of interviews together. The um, dream team. The dream team. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, um, I, I, have a cer- I have a certain style. You do. The way that I work. It's very, I don't know, the way to describe it, I'm very street. I'm very, you know, I swear a lot. Mm. Um, you know, I wear, you know, sports clothing to work. Um, one, because it's comfortable, but two, um, it's, it's probably one of the first things that it's a young person comments on, about to me. Mm. Um, That's what you're wearing. Is, oh, hey, cool shoes. Like, you know. And I'm in. And, and I'm, in. I'm in. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, like, <laughs> and I could take advantage of that. Um, uh, so, like, it's just like doing little things like that that, mm. that evolved over time. That once upon a time I wore kind of semi casual semi-formal stuff to work. You know? Yeah. Your and court then, get-up's probably one of my favourites. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, then I was like, I'll do that for court. Hmm, yeah. Of course. Um, time and a place. Time and place. And then um, it's just, just little things like that that, that um, show or show that you're, you're thinking about hmm. the work when you're at work, hmm. you know. Um, when, you're not at, when, you're, when you're not at work, do whatever the fuck you want. Hmm. But... Um, at work, I try to, I guess I try to apply myself as much as I can um, and, and um, it makes the day go by quick mm. and it makes me love what I do, mm. even though sometimes um, you have really good days and then sometimes once in a while you have a fucking shit day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like having colleagues and stuff to, you know, kind of debrief with, mm. shoot the shit with, yeah. um, that's fucking massive. Yeah. And having supportive uh, management, line management, um, supervision is fucking, yeah, like. It's the ticket. It's the ticket. It's the, it's what keeps you in the game. Because uh, if I if I didn't have any of that, like, I, I'd, I'd probably be batshit crazy. Not that I'm not. So <laughs> I'd be a lot more batshit crazier than, yeah, yeah. than I am. Yeah. Um, cool. Nice one. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Really appreciate it. Anytime. thanks for listening to another episode of knowledge on tick please like and share the podcast invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered take care and enjoy your week